Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Add My Optics, a podcast where two grown adults discuss, overanalyze and generally take a kid's toy and media franchise a little too seriously, usually that of the Transformers. I am your cantankerous, world-weary, cynical host, Orion Gear, and with me is my unfocused, frequently distracted and easily led co-host, Virtual Dave. Hello, Virtual Dave. Hello, 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 listeners. And oh boy, do we have a very special episode for you today, dear listener. Our very first interview with someone you've actually heard of. (laughs) Due to some rather unbelievable friend-of-a-friend nonsense, superstar Transformers writer James Roberts has very kindly offered us an hour of his time to chat with us. Amazing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So keen, frequent listeners may have noticed I try to link our self-deprecating intros to the subject under discussion. So Dave, which two more-than-meets-the-eye-slash-lost-like characters was I describing just then? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tailgate and... Swerve? Almost. Tailgate was uh, was definitely the one I used for you. Unfocused, frequently distracted, easily led. That's definitely me, yeah. <laughs> and I, the description I used, cantankerous, world-weary, cynical. Oh, right, Ratchet. That be? <laughs> hmm? Ratchet. Yay! <laughs> so you have read some. Right, so um, mostly that's to demonstrate the point that I'm a big fan of James Roberts' work. Um, big fan of More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Light. But Dave... Previous to us securing this interview, you hadn't read that much, had you? No, I've, my knowledge of all of the RDW run has been patchy at best. It sprinkles mm. down from what figures are in the toy line and whatever crossover comic I may have picked up along the way and odd trade here and there. It's very sporadic. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk to you about comics quite a lot. Well, not a lot, but I talk to you in comics from t- about comics from time to time, and you tend to know a little bit about the characters or a little bit about the, um, the teams or whatever, but you don't tend to know much about the writers or the artists. If, is that fair? Uh, yeah, it's very fair. I, I never really retain such information. It, mm-hmm. I, if I Even if I did, I probably would get it wrong and be yeah. quoting... An artist who had nothing to do with the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I just try and avoid it. <laughs> right, okay. Well, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about our experience of uh, James Roberts' work. And then, hopefully, James will dial in and we'll have a good chat with him about anything and everything, really. But mostly, his work with Transformers. <laughs> it's fair to say you've been on a bit of a crash course to prepare for all this. So... Why don't you fill us in on your experience of his work thus far? Um, okay. Well, from what I understand, James is if not completely, but partially responsible for what goes on in Lost Light in particular, right? Yes. He is the only writer on More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Light, which are two comic books. That, well, they're essentially the same comic book. Mm-hmm. It's just that they changed the name around about issue 57 of More Than Meets the Eye, they changed the name of the two main books and More Than Meets the Eye became Lost Light. And the Lost Light is the name of the ship that they are flying around in. Well, 
for the short few issues I've read now, um, I can say that I really like the characters in the story. I think it's one of the few Transformers stories where the war is ended, telling a story about how these characters deal with that and how they deal with each other after the fact. And I really like how the Lost Light team kind of are this mishmash of different eras of Transformers or weird abilities and odd shapes and sizes and characters you probably wouldn't expect to see together, but they all, you know, it's their flaws that kind of bring them all together and they're, they're not the, um, they're not the A-listers. No, it's, it's really much like this, the, the people, some people that you've never heard. I mean, that's where Fizzle gets mentioned at one point. Wasn't that one of the, Sparkler minibots, or what we were talking about before, yeah, in the previous podcast, the um, the one about um, City of Fear, Marvel Comics, yeah, they they do, and like uh, I think Guzzle is a member of the Wreckers, and James Roberts' uh, introduction to writing for IDW was right uh, co-writing uh, Last Stand of the Wreckers, and Guzzle was in that. Yeah, the the character work is fantastic. I I love the way that um, he's brought all these disparate characters together and form a, a crew mm. and how quickly all those characters are formed and fleshed out mm-hmm. is is really impressive he builds characters very quickly and he gives them a personality and a voice that is really easy to differentiate from other characters so how far have you got um i've got his one of what the guy's name is bit farmer oh yeah there's a revelation that he was working with the djd or Mm. calls this virus or something and actually ends up with his hands because he was having trouble with his hands. <laughs> yes, because he's, he's meant to be this amazing surgeon but he's getting old and his hands are seizing up. There's a really great bit really early on where I think Rong's talking to him about, um, <laughs> yeah. about how great a surgeon he is and uh, Ratchet's like, oh, it's really nice if you kind of you to say that he hits his hand with a hammer. That's what I was going to say. It's brilliant. I love, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, that's you're kind of heading towards the end of the first mini arc but like that's what's wonderful about uh, the way James Roberts writes is that he sets up stuff that pays off 20, 30, 40, 50 issues later Mm. there's stuff in the first couple of issues that pay off in the last couple of issues of Lost Light that you wouldn't even notice at first like issue one there's stuff that pays off in the last issue which I think is pretty pretty impressive considering there's like 80 or so issues in total. Okay. It's a pretty long run for one one writer and a really consistent art team pretty much. I mean, there's a few times where they have a guest artist, but you've basically got um, More Than Meets the Eye, it's pretty much all Alex Milne. And then when it switches to um, Lost Light, they have a change of artists and it's Jack Lawrence. But there's very little deviation from that. And I always, I always really appreciate that in a comic. Like, there's a lot of comics which really mess that up. Because there's a synergy between artist and writer. And if you keep changing the artist, then you're going to get... It's going to get spotty and weird and it's going to be a disconnect. Yeah, that's this, um, it's probably one of the reasons why it was hard for me to read the um, G1 comic we, we looked at in the last episode. Mm. From... The change in artist was dramatic from how it began to how it finished type of thing, like that first panels we saw. And towards the end, it was a whole different feeling to the book. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, and that happened a lot back then, especially in kids' comics. Yeah, what what we're reading there, it was like two or three issues with one artist, and then another two or three issues with another artist. And because it's a continuous story, yeah, the artists will change in between. It is it is distracting, and I mean, it still happens. It still happens in Marvel comics. It still happens in DC comics. They'll either change the the art and writing team midway through something or they'll change the artist or they'll just go oh well this artist works very slowly so we need to have someone fill in for these couple of issues because we need one to come out every month on the fucking month <laughs> and that can be really distracting um some of my favorite comics are ones where the art and writing team stay consistent who did you say the artist was for lost light alex milne alex- no sorry uh jack lawrence for lost light I think that's one of the few artists I've met at a convention mm-hmm. and actually had a talk with them about, you know, being an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few years ago now, but I actually got to meet him and talk to him about being an artist and that was really interesting. Very cool. What was, was that a TF Nation? Was that an MCM? MCM. Okay. Yeah. And did he tell you anything of note that you'd like to share? <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I think at that point I was still very much into my artwork, so I think he was just just telling me about how to get your artwork out there and just like, keep practicing and stuff. You know, general good artist tips. Yeah, it's good to meet those people in in, in the flesh, so so to speak. I suppose maybe I should just quickly kind of go over what what the concept of the Lost Light and the more than meets the eye is, which is that um, after the war. Essentially, you have two factions splitting off of Autobots. You have Bumblebee on on Cybertron trying to get things up and running and a new a new order on on Cybertron after the war. And he has to deal with the fact that there's loads of non-aligned Cybertronians coming back to Cybertron now the war is over. And they're not very happy with the Autobots or the Decepticons for having this massive war. And then they're, they're referred to as Nails, yeah. non-aligned indigenous life form i think that's what it stands for so he's dealing with that but rodimus is like i want to go on a quest and find the knights of cybertron because he got a map from part of the matrix he's gonna go off and do that and he thinks that that that's gonna be a way of like taking things forward for the cybertronian race and also a jolly good adventure (laughs) the transformers comic book the g1 transformers comic book was split into two parts more Than Meets the Eye, and Robots in Disguise. And Robots in Disguise is the Bumblebee book, written by John Barber, and More Than Meets the Eye is the Rodimus book, written by James Roberts, who we'll be talking to very soon. <laughs> I, I've even been looking into what's been going on in Cybertron with Bumblebee and Prowl and yep. the others left on Cybertron, and I feel like that side of it, I, I feel like I need to know more context, because... Some people are very angry and some people are very, you know, still holding yeah. grudges against the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found um, the interaction very interesting because, like, you you understand it. Like, you know, the, the war has been going on for so long, there's obviously going to be tension. Baggage. Bag- yeah. Like, it's just, you can't expect people to just be okay with each other after mm-hmm. so long. And I think the element of the people who are not affiliated with any side as well is really interesting because obviously they've gone to different planets and they've 
set up their own systems and ways of living and very interesting. Yeah, and I recommend, after all this, since you've now got an interest in it, <laughs> pick up Volume 1 of Phase 2. <laughs> the great thing about the um, collected hardbacks is that it has both More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise in chronological order. So you'll read like two or three um, issues of Robots in Disguise and then you'll read some of More Than Meets the Eye. So you're, you're kind of seeing what's happening simultaneously. Which you could, might consider that a little jarring. And I do have to say that I don't always want to do that way, but I like the way that that's set out. Obviously, if you just want to read More, more Than Meets the Eye, there's trades of More Than Meets the Eye. And if you just want to read Robots in Disguise, there's trades of that too. Mm. So you don't have to read it that way. But if you want to get the whole picture, I would suggest going that way because you get to see what's happening in both books. It's interesting the the, the, the aesthetics of the characters. Because like I said, that's how I know bits and pieces about IDWs via the toys. Mm-hmm. The characters get different looks along the way. And it very much ties in with the toy line. Like, a lot of people on Cybertron seem to have their War for Cybertron designs. War for Cybertron? Yeah. Not not the current one. No, no, not the current one. Uh, well, this is what's annoying about Transformers. I wish they'd stop reusing the same strap lines. Oh, yeah. Robots in the size <laughs> more than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you have to go, no, not that one. The other one. So you mean War for Cybertron, like the computer games? Computer games, yeah. Right, okay. That's true. Yeah, a lot of the designs are... Hasbro had a hand in that. They're like, we need you to use this design. We need you to do that, use that design. And then you have tie-in comics to the lines that were on the shelves at the time. Like there was a Combiner Wars um, miniseries. And I mean, the great thing about More Than Meets the Eye is it is barely touched by that stuff. Whereas Robots in Disguise, poor James Barber had to deal with that on a regular basis. Sorry, is it James Barber? John Barber. John Barber, sorry. I mean, there's almost no interference from Hasbro in what goes on in More Than Meets the Eye and The Lost Light. It tends to keep out of that, all of that, which is great. You can read that and not have to know about that. Yeah, that's one of the main things I really liked about it. It was, I didn't need to know who these characters were before this book started to really get into it or, or like the characters. Well, many of them weren't really doing much before this book. Some of them. I mean, for instance, Tailgate is introduced in the book. And yeah, there's plenty of characters in this that have not really appeared in IDW previous to this. Yeah. Or at least not appeared in a big way and not been nearly as fleshed out as they are in this, which I think is one of the strengths of the book. Like, these characters, they're like fully fleshed out people. There's plenty of stuff about them being Transformers, like about them having alt modes and, and the functionism and sparks and brain modules and transformation cogs. Lots of kind of crazy, almost Doctor Who-like science going on. <laughs> but at the core of it all, they could be anything. They don't have to be Transformers. They're people. Mm. And I love the way that like new or underused characters are fleshed out, but then established ones like Rodimus and Ultra Magnus are given completely new sides to them that you've not seen before. Yeah, I really liked Rodimus in the first few issues I've read. It's um, <laughs> not like I didn't like Rodimus, but it's like I really like this upbeat interpretation of him and how charismatic he is. And just kind of, mm. you know, I think it, Rodimus is always kind of um, mostly depicted as struggling with leadership, but I think this version of him at least is a good 
captain of a ship. I mean, he's he's still struggling with leadership, but he tries to style it out, basically. Yeah. He's quite insecure, really, but he has this kind of brash attitude. It's all attitude, basically. <laughs> it coasts along on his on his kind of own kind of um not really belief in himself, but like th- this whole kind of idea that everything's going to be fine and uh, nothing can go wrong because he's great mm. and everything's great. Yeah, there's characters that you think you know and become quite different characters throughout the whole run. And there's loads of um, world building and law creating that um you, you see kind of happening throughout the whole thing. Lots of new kind of threats and baddies. I mean, the DJD, the Decepticon Justice Division, they're a new thing. They were introduced in this. I'm almost 100% sure they were introduced in this, yeah. And they're basically very, very um, dedicated to the teachings of Megatron. And they have a list of Decepticons who have uh, transgressed against the teachings of Megatron, and they need to be hunted down and killed. <laughs> and eventually Megatron ends up on that list. Mm. Because he basically... I mean, spoilers, guys. <laughs> Megatron switches sides. Not that there really are sides because the war is over, which is an important part of the book, but he does end up on the Lost Light as co-captain with Rodimus. Mm. Actually, something I wanted to talk about, actually, before we completely get onto toys and stuff, what I really thought was great about what James Roberts did is that he... And you, you'll have only seen a small amount of this, I imagine... But he basically identified that the Transformers is a homonormative society. Mm-hmm. Like, because most Transformers are male, it stands to reason that there'd be a lot of same-sex relationships. And that would be the norm, not the exception. It makes complete sense. It, it really does. <laughs> yeah. And I love that he explores that. As well as introducing transgender characters, um, which you probably won't have seen yet, and it's like brilliant that that, that that do that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, and I'm saying that as a, a cisgender white male. So, I mean, what do I know? But I've seen a lot of like LGBTQ plus folk reacting really well to it. And a lot of homophobes and transphobes reacting really badly to it. So that's good. <laughs> I, re- I remember when these issues, you know, were, were making, you know, Facebook posts and panels were posted in groups so like i remember it happening mm-hmm. but i never really thought much of it like um i think rewind and chrome dome were the one i saw the most and like you know before any well i mean they're, they're essentially the first they're essentially the first couple in the book really oh, okay it's the more you the more if you um sat down and thought about how the transformers work as a race or as a people or as a society it makes you know, 100% sense. Yeah, you'd think. A lot of people didn't think so. But but those people are wrong. <laughs> I get that some people are, I don't want my Transformers falling in love. I want them shooting each other in the face. <laughs> it's like, well... well that's what <laughs> happens. Have we not had 30 years of that? Can we not have something a bit different? It's it's crazy that, you know, that, that people got so upset about that. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> my objects! That leads us really does lead us on to the influence of James Roberts and his work on the franchise. You were saying that you the way you know this stuff is through the toys. In want to elaborate? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, what do they call it? Twilling thirties had a lot of mm-hmm. high in toys to the comics. I mean, I think 
they were packaged with comics, weren't they? Some of them. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think I think the deluxes were. But yeah, I think even now some of them are still held pretty in high regard. I think that Springer is some people's still favorite version of the character. Mm-hmm. That's how I knew that some of these characters were popping up. I mean, having a generations toy of Rat Trap, and that meaning he's in some sort of on the side of Starscream, or like he's like his right hand man at one point. And that- yeah, he's he's in Robots in Disguise early on, anyway. Because spoilers, Starscream ends up becoming quite an important person on Cybertron. He's, I mean, so far he's my favorite character on that side. He's, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been a fan of Starscream and his way of manipulating people for his own gain, but. I'm always more interested in how he deals with that when he's not just Megatron he's manipulating or trying to overthrow and it's other people as well. But stuff like that. So the toys got packed in the comics of a character. The character was in the comic, may not be in the, not like a spotlight comic or anything, but they were in there. Yeah, I remember all that happening. And that was when I wasn't really reading the comic. But I really did like the fact that these designs were being... Mm. used in the comic in a good way not in a kind of like irritating kind of like well this there's no kind of like let's make it look exactly like the toy the artists were allowed to take liberties and not go oh well, we have to have half the alt mode hanging off the back yeah i like that they didn't go war for cybertron level let's just use the cad models <laughs> for the tv show why not well because they've got massive backpacks and like little ports and things hanging off of them and well that's a good um example because like like i was saying in more than this they do use the video game Wolf of cybertron designs but it's not one for one i can mm. recognize that's the inspiration it's not exactly the same yeah no it's fine i mean uh, i think I'm... and then there's new designs new idw specific designs which i think is great like you know people like chrome dome and um I mean, Rodimus, Rodimus, the way Rodimus looks is not something that's taken from anywhere else. The tailgate design, obviously, is kind of based on the, the original G1 tailgate toy, but it's very different. Um, Rung, there's quite a lot of characters in there that are completely brand new. Mm. Tarn, for God's sake. Yeah. So there's lots of really nice designs. I think a lot of them were down to people like Nick Roche and Alex Milne. I think Jack Lawrence as well. There are some new characters introduced in... The Jack Lawrence run that are uh, he's I think he's designed, but yeah, I mean, like you say, like there's been lots of IDW designs or designs that have been used in IDW used in toys. More than meets the eye is probably I would say is probably one of the most popular Transformers comic books has been in ages, mm-hmm. and this has spawned lots of fan art and third parties making toys of this stuff and Hasbro making them as well, like. With Hasbro, it's hard to say which came first. You know what I mean? Because Hasbro were involved, did have meetings with the writers and artists, and did say, we want you to put this design in, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that love from the fandom, that love of those comics, has resulted in people trying to put together a Lost Light crew, or put together a DJD, or put together characters that are, that are only appear together in the same place in this in this way in this comic mm-hmm. the idea that you want a, a a cyclonus with a skull-like head and horns to go with your tailgate and you want a chrome dome and rewind and you want um a cheeky looking um uh, swerve toy yeah. and the third parties latched onto this yeah people like 
mass migrations and make toys doing essentially chug style more than meets the eye characters that weren't being covered by Hasbro. Even the um, early Iron Factory Legend stuff was very influential yeah. by BW, wasn't it? It was. Didn't they, didn't they do a DJD or was that another company? Or was that Iron Factory did a DJ a Legends DJD combiner? Yeah. So yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like there's loads of this stuff that's kind of come out that it wouldn't happen if it wasn't a great comic book. Hmm. Even even to the um, you know, the casual fan, like I mean, I guess I kind of fall into that category. You know, those these designs are it's a quality to the, the the artist really. Like they transcend the comic and stand alongside. You know, the timeless G1 iteration of these characters. You know, you have, um, Flames Toys, you know, heavily detailed, painted lights, you know, proper high-end figure. Mm-hmm. And you also have these IDW characters taking mantle with that high-end level of collectors. It's a good point, because a lot of what Flame Toys do is IDW influenced. A lot more of it than it is G1, to be honest. And those are very expensive figures, so they've got to have some faith in the fandom to want to buy that stuff. It speaks to the popularity of IDW in general, not necessarily just what the stuff James Roberts works on. But I mean, it, I, I mean, I think that it's even... It's just I just wanted to drive on the point that these characters, on their own, without the story... I mean, with the story, it's even better than I can even get the desire more. Mm. I spoke to you yesterday about how now there is characters in this comic that I'm going to want physical representations of because I like the character. But I really like the way they look. I like the way the characters are designed in IBW. It's one of the main things I've liked about the comic even before you know, reading the bits and pieces I have. I think all of the designs in it are really cool. Yeah. The only problem is it's not a lot of the times when those type of designs get put into a world, a 3D world, where they have to transform. Sometimes it's a bit lackluster, but engineering and stuff since those early um, third party or Hasbro stuff is, you know, dramatically changed, and some of the stuff is really cool these days. Yeah, and the great thing about more than meets the eye is people barely transform anyway. Well, yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> so in a way, that removes some of that for you. <laughs> but yeah, no, and there's been some fantastic stuff. I mean, I've become obsessed—not obsessed, but I really into MMC, their um, reformatted line. I want the main Lost Light crew, mm-hmm. and I want the DJD, and then you know, I've got completely gone down the rabbit hole on that, and that is all due to the writing. Now, I mean, I didn't hate the designs in IDW, but I could take them or leave them, especially previous to More Than Meets the Eye, like Phase 1, because some of that stuff was quite heavily influenced by the movies that were happening at the time. There was some kind of slightly ugly, overly complicated looking designs that I didn't like. <laughs> they simplified that a lot more. It became a lot more kind of in what I would consider sort of classic G1, but with its own with its own style. More spikes. <laughs> well, yeah, and just a bit more a bit more comic book than cartoony. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a difference there. And Alex Milne's art is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. And Jack Lawrence's as well. It's great. And uh, oh, Josh, I should mention Josh Bircham as well. His colouring is brilliant. It's just a very well put together book. But yeah, that, those designs, I don't think I would have wanted them if I hadn't if it hadn't been for James Roberts writing. 
So I think with all that covered, I think James will be dialing in any moment now. <laughs> so we'll uh, reconvene when that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. My optics. Hello, James, and welcome to Ah My Optics. <laughs> we shout that. <laughs> All the time. Uh, yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for generously giving up your time to talk to us. I hope you didn't feel too pressured by our mutual friend Simon. No, uh, well, I mean, there was there was low key kind of intimidation, but um, oh, that was well. more more me towards him, strangely. <laughs> oh, really? Well, it's yeah. very hard to say no to that guy. I find very persuasive man. He is, yes. So um, we've only had, we've only got a limited amount of time with you, so I don't want to waste too much of it, like introducing ourselves and gushing about how much we enjoy your work. But, um... <laughs> hey, I don't mind. No, okay, agreed, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I am, I am a big fan, and in researching this for for this interview, I think we've made mm-hmm. one of Dave. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because he hadn't really read much of the IDW stuff. Um, that's a bit, bittersweet thing to hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dave, Dave was sceptical. That's fair enough. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he tends to he tends to experience things through what what I describe as kind of tertiary media. So, like, like he claims to be a Spider Man fan, but he's barely read any Spider Man comics. He's just watched movies and played computer games. That kind true. of thing. I like I like the sound of this. No, I think I think you could be onto some new breed of uh, <laughs> I know kind of like remote fandom or something I don't know what it is it's like vicarious <laughs> fandom absolutely yeah <laughs> so I mean the, the, the theme of the podcast is that I'm the grumpy kind of pre-internet older fan and Dave is the younger more enthusiastic pop culture guy uh, I yeah. guess what everyone, what everyone calls it these days <laughs> but uh, yeah not to retread old ground too much but would you want to say something about how you, James, got into Transformers? Yeah, okay. Well, we, we had a little, not to uh, shatter the illusion of this podcast too much, but we, we had a little chat before we started the cameras mm-hmm. rolling. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, yeah, you told me that um, you were there at sort of at the beginning in, in, before. And I wasn't. I wasn't at the beginning. I was there. Um, well, see, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was there in, from 86. And, and for a long time, that seemed... A, like a, a huge gulf of time but as <laughs> as age happens that now seems like two weeks you know 84 to 86 from this vantage point is like a blink but um mm. in childhood terms mm. that's kind of that's that's an ice age isn't it so um yeah i uh, i don't know i don't know what happened i wasn't into comics or, or or toys much um apart from lego back in 84 and so and it just didn't really cross my radar i saw it on Wackaday, you know the uh tv yeah thing. As, as did i yeah, yeah. And, and i thought and i hope i'm not going to shatter your your illusion here but for for years and years i thought therefore i was there at least i'd seen that in 84 but i was looking at the broadcast dates uh, for some other project and i think it was 1985 some summer holidays 85 they started showing it so um i so yeah i think i think i was first aware of it then and then i um friend my friend of my brother's had issue 97 of the uk comic which was when mm-hmm. which was prey part two and um oh yeah um and yeah that was then that that got me well I, that got that piqued my interest but it wasn't until i saw the movie in december 86 um i got blitzwing for my birthday the year uh, the month before 
um, and then I started getting the UK comic with issue 113, which was which was coincidentally a really good jumping on point. Actually, it was the beginning of the comic sequel to the movie. Yeah. Um, so it had characters mm. that I knew from the film, and it happened to be the first appearance of Death's Head, the, the remains of one of my favourite characters. So, and it was Jeff Senior doing the art, Furman of course writing it. The beginning of like an eight-part, nine-part epic. And so, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to jump. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. I'm trying. To, I was going to make a, a sort of a, a cheap joke about like the, the worst issue to jump on, but um, back in those <laughs> days, but actually there weren't too many. There weren't too many dodgy issues there, but that was there. That was that was a cut above. That was a very strong issue to um, to start with, and and that was issue 113, and and that's why there's various references to that number throughout my run. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because you no, know, it's it's a lot of effort to think of a random number. You know, so just reach for reach for one off the shelf. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to think. What I think, I think the, the I think the first issue of the comic that I got, I, I did look back, and I think it was like issue four. Now that's um, just, so what, what is this? I've, Are you just I've trying to off. show off there? <laughs> <laughs> seven months old or something um, you can't see him no, but he, he looks like a child he's a child man he just looks very youthful yeah well no I, I was i think i was what six yeah something like that i think we're the same age then i think we're the same age then okay oh well that was well that was a good um, 40, 40 78 okay so yeah. a little younger than me but um issue four wow so you so you were there for um Sorry, Dave. Yeah, but I have to—I have to admit that I wasn't like a—I wasn't like massively into it at first. It yeah. took t- it took time for me to. Yeah, and I think the comic took a, took a while to get good, as it were. It did. Yeah, I mean, the first year was um, was under Sheila Craner's editorship, and it was it was more of a mm. magazine slash robot anthology thing, and then Ian Rimmer came along. Um, as it became week, um, was it when it became weekly? It may have been a bit earlier than that, but he certainly yeah. it went weekly, it went full color. It, it 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 turned into what became the kind of Marvel UK house style. Sorry for licensed licensed mag- uh, comics at least, and then um, yeah, under under Ian's editorship, I mean he he left around DC 104, and Furman took over, but it was a phenomenal uh, comic, you know, by by sort of any measure really, it was. I mean, I'm biased as a Transformers fan, but I think it's a really, really mm-hmm. solid comic. And um, and actually, it's only, it only becomes greater in hindsight, really, as, as we as the UK market in particular moves away from that type of um, of, of comic. You know, um, you know, prior to that, you had I'm going off on a tangent now, so I'll, I'll wrap it up. But like, yeah, you, know, you had like the um, you either had a, you know a Marvel superhero reprint, or you had yeah the classic Beano Dandy, you know, Wizard and Chips type stuff. Um, or you had action in 2000 AD, but the yeah. kind of Transformers was was arguably the first licensed toy comic, and kind of you know set the standard high, higher than anyone else was able to reach. Actually, so anyway, yeah, R.I.P. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like when I was picking it up, it you know what you find in the New Jaysons was that, and then uh, thing, yeah, like things like 2000 AD and Dan Dare and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Eagle, Eagle. Yes, um, yeah. I mean, God, it was. I, I'm always telling my, not always telling my children this because that'd be an awful thing. But I, but I have told my children <laughs> about you know, the massive differences between growing up and, and going into a newsagent for a comic back in the 70s and 80s versus now. You know, and it's all cover-mounted free gifts. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and brand synergy yeah. and stuff. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, Transformers had its share of cover married free gifts. It, well, that's true. Yeah. from Like wildlife bars and uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> there was nothing tawdrier than, a, than something, than an edible free gift. That's, that's like, come on. <laughs> you want. Absolutely. You, I'm trying to think of the sort of the ranking of free gifts. I mean, like a. Another another booklet or, mag- or comic was the oh, more pages was amazing mm. or a, booklet mm. or a yes. poster like a big poster, um, but yeah the other end is like a wham bar or something you know that rocks on the cover. <laughs> yeah. God, I think I heard that you you've been trying to get hold of a full collection of <laughs> the, the the comic. Yes, in in nice pristine condition with all the free gifts, but I imagine you don't go as far as wildlife bars. You'd be surprised. So I don't know if you've heard. I've, I'm going to forget the name of this. <laughs> of this paradox now but there's um it's so and so's arrow okay and the idea is if you've got if you've got point a and point b and you fire an arrow towards point b right and then the arrow stops halfway okay right and then you you then you fire fire the arrow for the again for the remaining distance okay and then you stop it at halfway etc etc right you can do that for infinity right it's never going to reach its target you can always halve the remaining distance and so the par- the question is, well, how, how does that arrow ever reach point B, right? Okay, yes. So with Transformers comics, I am on the quest to get a mint edition of every issue with free gifts and stuff. And then when I think I have got a mint edition of each issue, then I see one which appears to be in better condition. And so then that right. becomes the new standard mm. the other issues must um, reach. And so I've been to various conventions as a guest and in the downtime between signings and stuff. I just go and root through the back issue boxes on this. Let's face it, this this never to be fulfilled quest to have you know, <laughs> mint, mint editions of each one. But um, I don't think has there ever been uh, uh, an edible an, uh, an edible free gift with Transformers? I don't know if there has actually. Yes, yes, wildlife bars. Was, was that was that, was that mounted on the cover, or did you send away for it? I, I've got I've got one here. Oh no, no. Dave, Dave, this is going to, I'm going to have a breakdown on your podcast. (laughs) But it, yeah, but is that, that's a token for it, isn't it? Or is it a token for a book? Oh, you're right. Yes, you need a token for it, don't you? So yeah. Yeah. So maybe, oh, you might be right. Yeah. So maybe not. Listeners, you can't see that, that he, he reached beyond the camera as if to produce an issue with a, with a chocolate (laughs) bar in the front. And I would have like, my world would have turned to dust, you see, because I would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so no, um, but yeah, I always, I do remember there being comics with edible gifts, though. So oh, yeah. maybe that's uh, maybe those two things have kind of. Um, oh, you're quite right. Got, in my mind. If anyone out there collects the Incredible Hulk presents, which lasted all of nine issues, then I do have mm-hmm. the one with a um, a chew on the front or something or some. I mean, that, what's that? Thirty <laughs> years old, thirty-one years old. It's probably oh, it's yeah. probably like a landmass of its own. Well, well, people do collect things like this and then uh, open them and try them on YouTube and stuff, don't they? So oh, yeah. the, that's why this society is sick. That's why it's going down the pan. <laughs> people like that. Yeah, people who get like um, ectoplasm from the old um, oh man Ghostbusters, the old Ghostbusters toys, and then open it. <laughs> no, I mean, why would you? What's that? What's it? ASMR? What is that? The right acronym? What's that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I guess I could just get someone. To open my incredible Hulk presents sort of fondant <laughs> bar and close mic it. Oh my god, rake it in that will. Indeed, 
Well, so, so suffice it to say, you're still you're still <laughs> um, still striving towards that that goal. I've only I've only started recollecting the old comics because I, I read I read a lot of them when I was a kid. Maybe not every single one. Yeah. But um, I saw a guy on Facebook who had like about forty issues going for fifteen quid. So Ooh. I bought them, and now I'm now I'm now I'm on it. You're, it, that's it, now. You're, you're, you're in too deep now. There's no there's no turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrible, really. <laughs> no, I I had a um. I have got a complete collection, and I and I, I nearly had another complete collection, which I did sell off a few years ago. Um, I won't I won't tell you which ones that I that I need, you know, because there's a couple where I I want the poster um, still it still in you know stapled in. Cause see what I mean? That's, there's always wow. there's always another there's always yeah. another hill. You climb a hill and you find another one behind it. So, uh, um, but I'm, 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 <laughs> there's some, there's something like that out there on eBay now, which I'm I'm after. But um, will I ever know? Rest? It's unlikely. It's unlikely. Yes. Yeah. You, you best not mention it in case one of our twenty five fans uh, <laughs> jumps in there and uh, steals it from you. But you know, I, did, I mean, we haven't talked about the demographic of your fans, but I mean, the chances are it's not as if I'm telling this story on a podcast about olive oil or something, is it? I mean, they're going to be, there's a, there's a, there's yeah, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. We have to be careful what we're mm-hmm. talking about and what we're, what we're, uh, what, what we're searching for, whether it be toys or comics or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, just in case. Exactly. Yeah. Well, otherwise it's like what, <laughs> whatever the opposite of shorting stock is or something. And it's like insider trading. We could be, you know, but cause an eBay spike. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Let's keep it quiet. So, I mean, to move on a little bit, you, you, so you got the gig. So, how did you get the gig working uh, writing Transformers for IDW? Yeah. So, so I, so once I was into the comic. I mean, so I was into the comic and the toys and the, the TV stuff to a lesser extent. Um, and I was st- still getting the occasional toy, in, you know, into the '90s and in, uh, in a couple few of the G2 stuff. But I was really that was kind of a you know it it, it had subsided for me. I, but I was always always into the comics. And um, <clears throat> near the end of the uh, the US run, there was a letter in the in the uh, in the comic in the American. So there was a letter in the American comic talking about a fan club called Transmasters. Mm-hmm. And then in an issue of, of TFUK, 311 or thereabouts, there was a, another, uh, there was a UK letter saying, you know, oh, I'm a member of this club. And if anyone wants to know more, then write to me. So I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened fortuitously because, um, you know, so I got into this Transmasters UK just as the UK comic was ending. And there was a like-minded bunch of us. Um, and we all were, re- I mean, we were all Transformers fans, but we were, TFUK fans more than anything else and we started doing our own fanfic um, and I edited a um, fanzine um, which was just showcasing the members prose stories called trans text and um, mm-hmm. this was 92 yeah 92 93 94 and the interesting thing about T- TMUK was that there was a kind of there was a there was an unusual level of discipline uh, in that we would all write stories that were, um, you know, continuity friendly. So they all fitted into the either if, if they were set in the past, they were t- uh, they were the Marvel UK continuity. And if they were going forward, we would, you know, sort of work with each other and cooperate to make sure that we were all building out in the same way, which is un- incredibly organised. You know, and in a way which I didn't really appreciate at the time, maybe none of us did, but that was an unusual 
approach to be taken you know with the so this sort of collective endeavor and um then i i suppose i you know I, I was of an age where other things were happening i was an adult by this point uh, by the mid mid 90s and i kind of fell away from the club a little bit but when uh, beast wars came along uh, there was kind of, and there was an advert actually for transmasters in the last of the generation 2 uh, comics by fleetway so this is a little bit pre beast wars nonetheless but 95 96 there was an influx of members into transmasters and uh, i got back in touch with an old member and he's like oh my god have you have you heard about beast wars and it's the number 2 toy in america after star wars or something and there's a new cgi what what does cgi mean anyway there's a new cgi um, <laughs> cartoon and stuff and um so i got back into it and i uh started writing sort of more long form prose stuff uh, started writing very ambitiously started writing a sort of a unofficial novel and um but i made friends with some other guys new members including nick roach who um went on to do yeah. cover work and interiors for idw and right. yeah um so nick was a good friend although he and i never collaborated on stuff i did I scripted some some fan fiction. I did some more prose stuff, but Nick and I never worked together in the club. Anyway, he got a gig at IDW, and they they gave him a mini series um, called which was was in the end called Last Stand of the Wreckers. Yeah, and um, he was to write it and you know write pencil ink five issues. And long story short, you know he um, the de- the time time was against him. And IDW said to him, look, we need to bring someone else in to sort of help you, help you out. Uh, we've got a few people in mind. And Nick said, well, I've got somebody that I, I think would be good for it, um, which was, spoiler alert, which was me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> otherwise, that's a very rambling story in the wrong direction. No, it was me, everybody. Um, so I, I, I sort of um, was given an opportunity to sort of co to, to, to script part of issue one and to co-plot the, um, the, the the series as a whole. I'm trying to think again as, as time goes on, the sort of the chronology gets a bit scrambled because I think I think prior to that, I again through Nick, I'd been invited to pitch uh, a few stories for. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So Nick and I had pitched um, a one-off special about Octane. So they IDW in the, in the early days did these uh, spotlights. Which were these self, relative, well, kind of self, ostensibly self-contained, one-off um, comics that focused on a particular character. So Nick and I pitched Octane. Um, I did a Dinobots pitch as well. Um, never got anywhere. Anyway, so records came along, right, right place, right time, right contact, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and records went down well, and uh, everything else kind of sprang from there, really. Wow. Yeah, 2009. He and I were, were working. So I was the Octane pitch was 2007, I think. 2008 was a fallow year. 2009 was when we started writing records, and then published in 2010. And there's always been, until I think until last year, year before, there was always some Transformers comic that I was involved in. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's amazing that IUW like took that chance on you as it were to yeah. uh, kind of like absolutely know, i wouldn't than... have done it probably you know on if i was there i mean it was <laughs> i'm and i'm conscious um that, it, that it's anomalous and, and I, I always feel a bit of a it's a bit of a cheat or a letdown when people say to me oh can you give me some advice on breaking into comics because mine was a bit of <laughs> mine was a um 
combination of, of, of luck. Hopefully. Right time, right place. Right time, right yeah. place. Yeah. And, um, and I'd never harboured ambitions to do, to do, to write comics either, really. I mean, I was a massive comics fan and a Transformers fan and a story, a storytelling fan, but it's just most of my stories were, um, lot were prose. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, strange combination of, of things led to it, but, um, worked out was, was that was that a huge change in how you wrote um moving to comic books yeah it was actually um in fact um i remember really clearly when um so so i did a bit of scripting for issue one of records and issue two um it was my i don't know how we organized it but it was my turn to um to start you know to do the first draft or whatever um and um and i started off and, and i my first attempt was really overblown it was far too prosy it was sort of 80s marvel stuff you know a lot of you know caption heavy narration heavy yeah <laughs> and um and yeah remember, and, and nick was saying well that's not really yeah we, we want it punchier than that and um that was good advice and and so second second draft yeah it was much more i kind of like there was a gear shift in my brain it's like you know i get okay i get it now i get get how this is supposed to be uh, i mean that's, that's not to say more than meets the eye is is has a reputation. It is quite a dense read. Lots of stuff happens in it. It is quite dialogue heavy. Yeah. Whether I made a conscious attempt or not, maybe it was to, partly because of Jack Lawrence's artwork. Jack came on with Lost Light, the kind of mm-hmm. third season. Um, but I think it became less dense with Lost Light. It, it breathed a bit more in, in the season three. Yeah, I, I think you're. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, actually, talking about more than meets the eye and. And, and lost light was, I mean, when you when you pitched more than meets the eye, was that was that ne- was the name of that comic kind of mandated, as it were? Um, yes, but 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 not in the way you think. Right. So, Wreckers Wreckers did well. Uh, certainly defied mm-hmm. expectations sales wise. That we they did a second printing of the first few issues. I think, to be honest, that IDW at the time, again, not not to digress too much, but it, Wreckers was was part of a three pronged sort of mini relaunch a uh, bit of a refresh and yeah. they had um there was one ongoing series that mike costa was going to write or that, that he wrote and then there was a mini series called bumblebee which was aimed at younger readers and then there was records which was aimed at which is kind of red meat for the old school fans like like us yeah <laughs> and they and they didn't i i guess they didn't think well either it was because it was nick and i writing it and we were i was certainly an unknown nick was a relative unknown he i think he had he had one and a half Two stories, one, one, one long, one short under his belt. Maybe it was the creators, maybe it was, they thought it was too niche, but they didn't um, expect much from Wreckers. It did that, it did well, it went down really well. And so Nick and I were thinking, okay, well, well then let's wait for the phone to ring, so to speak. We'll, we'll, they'll line us up with something else soon. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that did, I mean, the rest of 2010 you know, wore on and, and not much was happening. I, I was lined up to, to do something called War Stories, which was going to be a digital only anthology series of uh, five-page vignettes. Um, and I'd write the bulk of them and other writers like Simon Furman and so on would come and do other things. So actually I wrote a lot of um, synopses for War Story episodes. And then they, they spiked that for whatever reason. Obviously it just didn't happen. Um, but I recycled a lot of those ideas into season one and two of Modern Meets the Eye. Yeah, so... so so War Stories was spiked and they said, okay, look, the, transform- the ongoing Transformers thing, that's going to come to an end, Mike Costas. We're going to do another relaunch. We're going to split. We're going to have two ongoings. 
there's going to be this big event which kind of splits the cast in two yeah. half of the cast are going to stay on cybertron the other ha- half are going to go off into space um and i remember saying this is andy schmidt at the time he was the editor and he sent us this kind of like three-year plan and then he said so there's this split and then you know half the cast here half the cast in space and we were like what what's the event that um that causes that rift you know and he was like oh, we don't know what that is yet so something's going to happen that there's going to be very divisive and so much so that the the working title for that series was uh, schism and um mm. because x-men came out with a with a i was going to yeah, say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time well you know before we got to we we got to the uh, to that point they beat us to it so um yeah we were so we schism was replaced by chaos and then yeah anyway at that point they said okay well we're going to get dan abnett and andy lanning to write the space-based one oh. which is called robots in disguise and we're going to get Mike Costa to do the Cybertron one, which will be called More Than Meets the Eye. Right. And then, um, and then um, Abner and Lanning did, uh, ended up just doing one miniseries for IDW, uh, Heart, Heart of Darkness, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then for whatever reason, they, they, they decided they didn't want to do any more Transformers. Um, you know, whatever became of them, who knows? Oh, yeah, I've never heard of those guys before. <laughs> no, I mean, these poor also rans went off and uh, disappeared. <laughs> and then Mike, 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 Mike decided he'd um, he, he had enough. Maybe, you know, it's saying this out loud, I'm sort of getting an insight into the air of desperation at IDW now. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's buggered off, and they're like, Jesus, we need, right, who could we? This going through the roller decks. Like, who have we got left? As, uh, <laughs> Um, so they, so, so they, they, so Andy asked me to to do the space one, and he asked um, John Barber to write the uh, Cybertron one, um, and all I had, um, so so it, I didn't pitch it is what I'm saying. They they said to me, there's a space based quest, and and the the line was Rodimus and Drift set off to find the Knights of Cybertron. Oh right. So so nobody knew what the Knights of Cybertron were, whether they were real or not, um, didn't know mm. whether, whether the quest would be successful. Um, Drift was there because he was kind of IDW's breakout new character, Shane McCarthy's character. This is yeah. pre-Windblade. I think Windblade, Windblade supplanted Drift. Yeah, mm. yeah. Although Drift's been in a movie, so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, took that, I took that line and, you know, poured my heart and soul into it. And I like it. At the moment, I've just been going through some old notebooks that I've, I used to write longhand, and I found all these books from the very beginning when I was just churning out all these ideas. And, um, yeah, I, um, I went back with, a, I think, a, a 12 or 16 issue outline because we were told, look, don't plan further ahead than that because, you know, who knows if these are going to work. Yeah. Um, low expectations, Mark II there. <laughs> and then Andy said, oh, you know what? Given all the kind of you know, the, the the duplicity and the spying and the the double crossing and the sort of more actually more to the point, given all the secrets that that are, that are happening within your crew, it makes more sense to call your your series more than meets the eye. So that oh, how it happens. I see. You see? Ah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, obviously, I would I would assume that it had always been well, as you said, it was always going to be more than meets the eye, robots in disguise, but they got switched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, two, I say generic, in Transformers terms, two very generic 
titles, which is why actually I always preferred Lost Light as a um, yeah mm. as a title. I was actually saying to Dave earlier when we were talking um, about about talking to you later on today mm. that things like More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise and all those all those kind of uh, terms that are just synonymous with Transformers have been reused over and over again. War for Cybertron. Yeah. They've been reused so many oh, times. Yeah. yeah that, that sometimes you're like, well, which which more which than are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it is it is better to have a, a name that's specific like Lost Light. Yeah. It, it, it loses its flavour, doesn't it, after all? And I think Lost Light is certainly at the time, um, well, argue, let's say arguably that the, the first, the only ongoing Transformers series that wasn't either named after a catchphrase or a slogan or a character. You know, so you, you had yeah. you had Transformers, you had Robots in Disguise, you had More Than Meets the Eye, you had Optimus Prime. But this was the first one where, you know, it, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I suppose you, unless you're going to describe the early Furman stuff in IDW, which is like Escalation, et cetera, et cetera, mm. that's, that's more of a strap line, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's there? it. They were kind of miniseries, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. My um, so so I've been, I've been uh, monopolising your time a little bit. So, uh, Dave, have you got any uh, questions you'd like to ask? Um... I don't know. It's um. I'm still like um. Orion mentioned earlier. I'm still very new to the comic and the the characters in the comic. Like it's. I mean, I I know, I've known of the IDW runs and you know characters popping up and the the art style of these characters and stuff. But I haven't yeah. really had the time to sit down and read like a full arc. No, I mean, well, you—it's quite because you're you're a good case study, actually, Dave. Because you're when when the um, (laughs) we'll dissect you intellectually. (laughs) When IDW were doing this relaunch with with the two, you know, the two the two titles, Mm. obviously the Holy Grail is new new readers. You know, Um, I mean, maybe lapsed Transformers fans. Great, we'll take we'll take what we can get, but. The Holy Grail is, you know, non-Transformers comics fans mm, yeah. <laughs> that give it a go. And, um, you know, it's funny, again, looking back, um, and, and, you know, we like, they, they spent a lot on the launch. I mean, we got the cover of previews yeah. um, that month. Um, and, we did, and we did well by Transformers comic standards of the IDW era, because, I mean, God, there was the Dreamwave launch from 2000 and. Yes, one or two thousand and two, which which got to number one, sold a hundred thousand copies, in which is incredible, mm. um, in every sense of the word. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, two thousand and twelve, it was um, it wasn't quite those heights. So I don't know how I'm not going to ask you how old you were at the time, but um, you know, you would you were you a Transformers fan ten years ago? Were you a comics fan ten years ago? What 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 was on your radar? Um, yeah, so around that time, I would have been. Um, ending college, going to university, so I I was definitely mm. into comics and the franchises that were big at the time, and Transformers was definitely one of them. But uh, <laughs> um, I've always just couldn't couldn't get you, could we? Couldn't reach you, yeah. just couldn't reach. No, you. I saw, okay. at the time I just don't think I ever. It wasn't um in my wheelhouse at the time because I studied um I studied um video games design at the time. 
And oh, yeah. towards my final year when I started to really get the influence of robots in my projects and stuff. And I think that's when I started to know about the two different comics going on and seeing them in comic book shops and stuff when I was looking for research for visuals. But apart from that, uh, okay. no, not at the time. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, at the time I was, I was, uh, a going to say balls deep. I was, I was, uh, <laughs> whatever comes next is going to be a disappointment. <laughs> Carry on. I, I was reading a lot of comics at the time. Right. But I was reading a lot of Marvel, DC and Image and I had read the early IDW stuff and there was a point there was a point in the IDW stuff where I I think also because I was burnt by the Dreamway stuff kind of just kind of collapsing. Right. There was a point in that in that like phase 1 as it yeah. were. Um where I felt that it wasn't that it was bad but there was there was a kind of a, a dip in kind of um quality and continuity and and I was like getting too mm-hmm. confused, so I kind of dropped Transformers, and I wasn't reading it. And then um, when your title came out, and um, they split them into the two, yeah, I was kind of I jumped hot, I jumped ship, yeah. But it wasn't until people kept started saying to me, "You need to read more than meets the eye. You'll really like it." And um, uh, and listening to um, other podcasts about comics and saying like, "This is a this is a really good comic book in its own right, not just as a Transformers comic book. It's it's worth reading mm. as a as a comics fan. Mm. Um, that's that's always really good to hear. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. well, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. I think it was House of Astonish that. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good lads. Yeah, you may have heard, may have may have yeah. met them before. I imagine. Yes, they're, they're good good guys. Yeah. So I came to it late, but I, I still yeah. I started devouring it. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't. Um, Cards on the table. I I wasn't. I didn't f- pick up any of the Dreamwave stuff. Um, I didn't. I wasn't with, um, with IDW at the start. I, I I took notice when Nick started getting work there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, and I don't. I guess I was just out, out of. I mean, I I'm in Guernsey really. There's there's. We've had one comic shop. It lasted about three weeks, and that was when Spider Man came out <laughs> in nineteen <laughs> or whatever it was. You know. Wow. Just the, sorry, three days before the bubble burst or whatever, mm-hmm. so it's hard to get hard to get stuff, and um, yeah, I did was just passing me by, and and I'm a, I I was and I'm a fan of of, of firm and stuff, and I think he um, and fair play to him, you know, when 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 IDW approached him and said that we're starting again, or yeah, when IDW got the license and said right, we're building something, yeah, he went for a um, an, you know, a self-described kind of ultimates vibe, really, you know, he yeah, he took a slow burning approach, and you know. Um, and, fa- and and it was uh, probably bra- braver and bolder than, than it now than it than it than it seemed at the time even. Um, but uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful to IDW, bless them. But I think um, they 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 were new to the license and um, and this was I think I've talked about this before. But um, we're talking 2005, and in internet terms, that's a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. People have been online for nearly a decade, but it was still the era of message boards and um, it, the, the distance between the audience or the readers and the creators or the, or the readers and the com- comic company was really short. Mm. And so, you know, you'd get instant feedback. You'd, you'd get very vociferous fans. And I think IDW thought, crikey, you know, this, the, the, some fans aren't liking this element of it. Um, specifically, that they, they didn't like the uh, you know, too many humans, too too you know too much on them, mm. and so they 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 rushed they they went for um, the mm-hmm. war within. So they, they rushed 
Didn't they rush out Stormbringer as well? That's it. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Stormbringer, yeah, because War Within was Dreamwave. Yes, wasn't it was, it? yeah. Stormbringer, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which, and this is not to comment on the quality of Stormbringer, but it, it sort of introduced kind of a, a second strand of storytelling. And then you had the spotlights, which were doing the same. And it, and it became quite a lot of, um, you know, ironically, given, given the kind of ultimate inspiration, mm. part of which was saying, look, you know, you don't need... Um, there's no, you know, there's no flashbacks here. You don't need to have read 50 issues before. Yeah. Mm. I think phase one of IDW's Transformers, you did actually have to have your wits about you to, you know, to try you know, to follow and, and to connect the... Um, the very... You essentially had to read it all. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, so and yeah, anyway, so I, I digress again. Mm. But I mean, it was, it was when Nick got involved, I, I paid attention and I, and I did like it and um, went back and read the escalation and, and infiltration like that too yeah but yeah 2012 was, was intended to be a jumping on point and um and i really you know looking back over this sort of nearly 10 years of, of getting of being involved it was really good no 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 disrespect of course to the long-standing fans but it, there was a an extra sweet kind of um uh, scent mm. for, for desperate ones for a better phrase actually uh, but you know there, there was it was it was, it was extra good when uh, when when a brand new sort of reader joined and they, they had no foreknowledge of transformers they they were they were checking out the book because they'd heard it was a good book in and of itself mm, yeah um and that worked for me worked for idw and um i remember that our um that you know what's remarkable to me is how many young fans jumped on board then or, or young readers that, that weren't yet transformers fans mm. yeah and and from my perspective as a as a convention goer you know, and as someone that did signings and, and um, you know got engaged with fans online and stuff, there was a shift in the in the kind of reading demographic. Then it it started to skew younger. I mean, we're talking sort of teens, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to people like me. Yeah. <laughs> and and it and it became far more diverse um, it, at the most kind of basic level. The sort of the the, the main gender split. So you know, it became less pr- predominantly men reading it. Yeah. And then, and then, the sort of second second um, dimension to the diversity, there was a far more engaged, um, you know, LGBTQ mm. component or you know, to the readership too, um, and that that was all fantastic, you know, and it, and it kind of really experiencing it at the time. It, thankfully, one was alert to it and could appreciate it as it was happening. But um, over the sort of six, seven, eight years of it, that it was being published. You know that the makeup of of convention attendees shifted from 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 where I was sitting. You know the type of people I was speaking to, and talking to, and and giving interviews to, and signing comics for. There was you know far more diversity. So was um, I mean you, you mentioned the LGBTQ uh, readers. Mm. Was that something that came about due to some of the stuff that was in your writing, or was that was that was that something that influenced your writing? Because I know you, you did a lot of stuff on like being a kind of homonormative society with a, you know, basically, well, all transform most yeah. transformers are male. So why wouldn't they have same sex relationships? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is it. That's kind of, that was my, um, that's my go-to kind of um, explanation or, or I, I hesitate to say justification because, mm-hmm. you know, one shouldn't have to justify it. No. But, but Michael Kelly, who, um, who was who was our liaison at Hasbro? So you know the, the approval process was you know you'd write a script, it would go to editorial at IDW, um, that then there might be notes, and then you'd then it would go up to Hasbro for sign off, and it would be Michael Kelly who um, was this doing the signing off, and he, and early on he said to us via 
editorial. He said, look, we, we really want to humanize the characters. Obviously, they're still robots, but, you know, we want, we want them to be engaging. We want readers to sort of relate to them, which was, which was in, in, intensely complementary to what I wanted to do with, with the book, because I wanted it to be unashamedly character driven. And kind of high, high, you know, hard sci-fi as well, or high concept sci-fi, yeah. um, and and sort of, you know, a, a bit sitcommy, a bit light, light-hearted when it needed to be. Um, so to have to have Michael and Hasbro sort of pushing in the same direction was great. But you know, the, the, my other go-to argument when I did have to try and explain why we were telling these type of stories was that you know the whole franchise is predicated or premised on this on a conflict which which itself is rooted in antagonism and hate and things and whatever so you know if you're gonna if you're gonna tell stories about the society which is defined by that emotion then then why why isn't every other emotion represented somewhere you know yeah. they, 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 there's going to be love as well aren't they? they're, they're going to love each other mm. and um because they're about 99.9 percent male coded mm. then it's going to be male on male loving yeah obviously um, so yeah, yeah so yeah, obviously. So I, I, so I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't have any particular audience in mind when I was writing it. So I, I didn't think, right, I'm gonna, I, I want to win, win over the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wrote, I wrote stories about, you know, flawed and real characters, um, and I wrote love stories, and that that uh, piqued the interest of, of people that wouldn't normally read Transformers comics. Yeah. Um, and it, then it became like a virtuous circle. So you'd get, you know, you'd hear lovely things from, from readers that got something out of it and, and they were kind of championing the book and they were extolling its virtues to, to people. Um, and that gave me confidence to, to, to tell more of that type of story, you know? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what I noticed. Like loads of people were really, really positive. I mean, obviously you get a bunch of negative so-and-sos, but loads of people were really, um, really positive about the whole stuff. I I found, unless you go to the deepest, darkest parts of uh, internet forums. Yeah, yeah, no, that was my experience too. And I mean, and and the the, the deepest, darkest dwellers could, could have they they knew where to find me, uh, but very very few people. Yeah, <laughs> very very few people were, were openly critical to my face anyway about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that yes, about other things, mm-hmm. fine, but um, <laughs> you know, not 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 so much about the um, gay content. So, um, so you didn't get too much resistance from editorial or the fandom on on doing this stuff then. No, it would it would make a better a better anecdote if I said yes, but no. To be truthful, um, I anticipated push. Well, not not it, but not no, no pushback is unfair. Mm-hmm. I. I I thought to myself, okay, look, I've, I've, this is abnormal. This is this is out the ordinary. So I'm going to preemptively explain why I think it's a good idea. This is this is specifically in relation to the Chrome Dome and Rewind um, Declaration of Love. Yeah. Mm. So I, I did I did write a kind of mini uh, or an extended a mini essay or an extended note at the end of the script saying, um, you know, kind of in defence of quote unquote, I love you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was basically a version of what I said to you just now about you know, obviously there must be you know the existence of love in that universe must be a thing, um, but you know didn't no no pushback no no nothing except just either sort of silent support or vocal support you know well that's fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was really good and um, um, I'm thinking we didn't I mean that was the beginning from my perspective of you know of kind of that that journey. 
and as this book went on, I mean, there was other LGBT, there was other sort of um, same-sex characters. Uh, with Lost Light, we introduced two uh, trans characters. Yeah, Again, Anode there was never any... An Odin Lug, yeah. yeah. And there was never any hesitancy, um, you know, with IDW or, or, or Hasbro. So fair play, fair play to, to, to everyone involved. Really. Yeah. And I, I thought the way that you slipped that in there was really, like, it, it wasn't, wasn't overstated. It was just kind of just there, which is exactly how it should be. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you think so. I mean, I, I, I've always been aware, um, if you hear, sorry, if you, you might hear my cat meowing, <laughs> no even worries. though he has, he, has, he has been fed, haven't you? <laughs> Uh, you, you might hear him purring. That yeah. isn't me. That's that's the cat. That's well, my, my cat's um, my cat's litter tray is in this room. So if you hear some rummaging, then, uh, then it's the same. <laughs> but go go ahead. Um, I framed myself off the off the scent. Yeah, right. So so um, I was always conscious, really, of a couple of things. So I'm 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 a, the most boring, straightforward, you know, um, heterosexual, you know, cis yeah. guy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, white to boot and middle class and all the rest of it. So very upper echelons of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I can't, I can't write from experience on, on these things. That's the first thing. So, uh, secondly, I really don't like when, you know, if you're, if you're going to write LGBTQ characters, I personally don't like it when, when that element of their existence becomes the story. Mm. Or their character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, sh- it should be incidental mm. unless unless you've got a particular unless there's a particular you know point you, you want you want to make whatever I, I just want i wanted it as we were saying you know like, like it, it was it was always intended to be a normal part of their society mm-hmm. so i suppose even if i'd wanted to sort of tell a story which in some way talk you know tack, you know uh, there was an element of prejudice or bigotry or something within the universe that, that it was playing out in that would have been difficult anyway yeah. to contrive and yeah like it at the same time I, d- I didn't want to make it completely incidental either um so yeah i mean yeah i, I there was there was there was never going to be any stories which hinged on a same on, on a relationship being same sex mm-hmm. yeah because like i say i mean i think that it wasn't even that we knew what sex the two characters were at first really and then it kind yeah. of like came along and then uh there was a, a, it was a scene in a in a bar I think with um, with Anode and Lug and Anode was talking to someone and just kind of basically kind of quite plainly said oh it's she these days you know yes that's right. yeah they're talking to Wipeout on um, yeah um, yeah that was um, it was important that the scene played out like that in fact when we introduced when there was a concerted effort to to bring more female characters into the storylines mm-hmm. um, in Dark Cybertron. And that was co-written with John Barber. And um, we wanted to have, I mean, I created Nautica and Velocity. Yeah. And they were going to arrive with, um, uh, well, Windblade was already, I believe. God, it's funny, scary how the mind, yeah, the memory starts to blur, about, you know. She? Yeah. As I sit on the porch here in my sort of my <laughs> assisted living home, just trying to remember. <laughs> um, so Elita One, right? Yeah. Is that, is that one? <laughs> yes, that's, that's correct. Yeah. God, this is terrible. Um, it, it was the last podcast he did, and then that's it. He can't say sent out enough for that. Tied an onion to our bells, as was the thing. No. Um, so the, I wanted, it, it, it's a, we were alternating issues, more or less. Mm-hmm. 
and it yeah. and it was my issue that these characters, these female characters, were going to be introduced. Yeah, and 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 in this case, Nautica and Velocity that nobody would have seen before, and and I wanted Alex, who was doing the art then, to to draw them as you know, if you like, male coded um, physiques. You know, uh-huh. so they wouldn't have the hips, they wouldn't have the bust, all that stuff. Yeah, um, because I want, and so I didn't want their femaleness to be revealed until down the line and, and in an incidental way mm-hmm. because mm. you know there's there's oh, there's those arguments for and against i suppose but um i've always been a little bit like when i had an opportunity to, to introduce nickel in in um yeah in lost life um oh no actually it was a uh, pride that wasn't it anyway when nickel came along i i, I wanted her to be you know a no, non-female coded you know she's just a sort of a bulky blocky yeah could could be a, could be a guy. Um. Anyway, but mm. understandably, IDW said, "Look, if we if if we're making a sort of a big thing about how these are female characters, then we'd like we'd like it to be apparent." Yeah, yeah. When, okay, you know, right. At the end of this issue, when they make a big appearance, that you know, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise it's just two new characters. You know, just two 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 extra blokes that have just abseiled <laughs> down or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, but with with Lug and Anode, I, again, I wanted. I suppose in a weird way, it's just my. It's it's not to get too pretentious or whatever or sentimental, but it's kind of a reflection of how I hope and and still hope things will end up in real life in the end. You know that it's just it's 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 non it's it's just it doesn't warrant any comment. It's a non-issue. Know? It's a non-issue mm. exactly exactly. Um, so it's it, and that and I wanted that nonchalance to come across in the um, in the story and, and you know wipe out it doesn't bat an eye. You know he he registers that. That the gen the gender the pronouns different than he was used to, mm-hmm. but beyond that, it's no yeah. it's no biggie. Yeah, exactly. That's what. Yeah, it just like I say, slipped in there and just you know move on, carry on with the story. And yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I loved it. I thought it was great because oh good. I, I honestly, I mean, I I was aware of the kind of Chrome Dome um, rewind stuff before I started reading, and but I had no idea that there was going to be trans characters in it. And yeah, mm. it's like well, great. It's it's good that it's just treated like normal as it should be. Um, yeah yeah exactly it should be exactly yeah yeah did you um did you get any say in which characters could be pulled to to do that with or you just have um, freedom with it i mean that's, that's actually that's interesting because it never occurred to me it never occurred to me to take a pre-existing character and and have that as a as a as a, as a reveal if you like mm-hmm. um i wouldn't have been against it that would have been quite interesting actually but no i, I with um I, I, Anode and Lug, they they were original creations of mine, mm-hmm. mm. and I needed when I was planning the Lost Light, what I what I call season three. Um, when I was planning that season, I knew I needed um, certainly Anode. I needed a character, an adventurer mm-hmm. um, who was uh, an expert in kind of um, sort of in, in natal issues, you know, in, in birthing and um, and all that. So. Um, so I needed the and because there wasn't there wasn't anyone that fit, fitted that bill already. So I, I was creating a new character. I was determined that we um we, we take diversity. We uh, we we continue to make to have a very diverse cast. So mm. it just married up quite neatly. Cool. Yeah. Although you know that's moving away from the LGBT slightly slightly. Um, you know I have given existing characters new personalities, and, and that actually that. My portrayal of Star Saber was far more controversial than anything to do with mm. same-sex relationships mm. or, or or trans characters. Um, yes, there was a. I did. I did upset. Not 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 intentionally. Although arguably, I should have. I should have <laughs> foreseen it. But I did upset 
Star Saber fans who were who were who liked him. So fans fans of him in, in victory and so on or That's right, yeah, the Japanese anime and where he was a he was almost a Thunderclash style yeah. you know, character. He was absolutely a hero. And I'd made him into a kind of embittered atheist um embittered evangelist. Yeah, a zealot. Uh, killer pilgrim. Talking of uh, Thunderclash, I love the the character of Thunderclash and how kind of yeah, the whole kind of idea of him just being everyone's hero. It was <laughs> was fantastic. <laughs> it robbed it robbed Rodimus up the wrong way, which is also cool. <laughs> we, we kind of needed a uh, rubbing Rodimus up the wrong way was was a, was always fun, and Megatron did that a lot. And uh, mm. I was it was nice of Nick in in uh, Last Bot Standing to have kind of a nod to Thunderclash's enduring status as uh, the greatest of all time. <laughs> I was determined actually to um to never I th- I I made it a rule that I would never reveal any flaw in Thunderclash's character <laughs> uh, you know because normally you get, oh, they're too good to be true and, and there's some terrible secret i don't know he really is he really is that good yeah actually. yeah yeah there's no there's no point at which you think that there's he's a wrong one no. <laughs> no he's absolutely great uh, even even when he's kind of yeah. being a self self-insert you know <laughs> and when he's wrong it's only because his mind's being controlled or whatever exactly you know give, give him a break he was <laughs> poor guy so, I mean, I, I did ask a few friends if they had any questions for you, because I, I, I meet a few people in um, in a pub and we take our Transformers down and we uh, talk Transformers. Oh, yeah. And a friend uh, called Chrissy did ask um, whether having like robots as your main cast allow the human stories between characters to hit on an emotional level that might be might have worked, might have worked better than if they were actually human. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's interesting. I am. I, um... I never, I certainly never, never sort of missed a human. I never, I never wanted for a human mm-hmm. character, um, and I absolutely did. I think from the beginning, see them as. I was going to say, see them as human characters. I just saw them as characters happened to be made of metal, and I think I know. I know for some people, you know, there wasn't enough actual transforming that went on, but I would say, you know, I, I would argue that. I tried to make the fact they could transform kind of more of a, of a, you know, what, what, what did that ability mean for their society? What does it mean for their religion? What yeah. does it mean for, for how they perceive themselves as opposed to having them actually transform in the comic too much? I mean, con- controversially, I always, that was never the appeal to me, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, the toys, yes, but, but as characters, the, their ability to change shape was, was cool, but it wasn't, you know, I, was, I wasn't sort of devouring the pages, waiting for that moment where, something would turn into something else and also selfishly it's um it can potentially take up valuable page space as well <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, obviously i mean the, the character of um of rung you know the mystery of rung was was entirely built mm. around uh, his mysterious thought mode so we did yeah. i've i've introduced a criticism that i'm defending now <laughs> i, I realized that wasn't something you did <laughs> um, but no i think uh, i think not having humans made it there was a, there, there was a, you know how with Doctor Who, mm-hmm. you've got kind of the, the companion is kind of the, the the audience surrogate. You know, they get a new companion, and it's and that, and, and actually in universe, that's why the Doctor does it, so they can see the universe. Or they, sorry, they can see the universe through the companion's eyes, and you kind of get like a, a companion perspective on things. Sometimes in Transformers, that's what the humans' function has yeah. been, but with what with a with an all robot cast the sort of the the prevailing perspective is it's kind of robot on robot that is it's 
it's it's a it's a robot emotional scale mm-hmm. which becomes a human emotional scale because there's no that that is kind of it's, it's exclusively robots it's exclusively robot characters so um that's a long-winded way of saying <laughs> that chrissy's right and that is that yeah it did um it helped me i think it helped to sort of sell them as as, as emotional beings yeah I, I agree and they did feel they do they do feel more human I mean, obviously, you've got the transformer element, you know, but they do transform, and then there's all the stuff about functionism and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely transformery things in there, but but they do sure. feel like kind of fleshed out human being characters, really, in their kind of like uh, the way they talk and the way they act. And, if, and obviously, with a character like Swerve, who's kind of like he's he's very he, he felt to mm. me like a kind of collective tissue between the reader and the um, and the book. Mostly because he's breaking yeah. the fourth wall. Well, yeah, <laughs> this is it. And yeah, I was about to say he kind of um, he or I mm. <laughs> has, has, has well he has his cake and eats it, and I suppose I do too. Really, we kind of at least we. we I see. I've reverted to we now. I'm distancing myself from the criticism. <laughs> at least I, um, you know that that was an that was a, a plot point itself was him activating the sort of. Uh, Metabomb. Yes, yes, the Metabomb, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At which point you can kind of, on some level, sense that there's... Uh, yes. I mean, and that, that prevails right till the um, penultimate issue of Lost Light, um, when he's... Uh, when, when it seems like all the story's wrapped up and somebody says, oh, so that's it, you know, the quest is finished, are we done? <laughs> and he's, his, his is the last panel, he's above the to be continued, mm-hmm. or to be concluded. Yeah. Uh, of uh, caption he's like he, and he sort of the implication is he can sense it says that so he's kind of well no we're not quite done <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah but actually i, I think I, if, if i i defy anybody that, that that writes anything to to not find fault in it and i would um possibly have have uh, you know uh what's the word east 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 off on east off on some of the pop culture stuff partly because it well partly because it dates it um mm. and sometimes it is a bit it is a bit dissonant i mean i think i um i was going for a sort of phonogram vibe when we had that kind of earth disco thing i was going to bring this up and that's, probably, that's probably my inner <laughs> that's my inner comic reader wanting to write because nine times out of ten the fact that they're robots doesn't prevent me from telling the type of stories i want to <laughs> but mm-hmm. if i want to set it if i want to write about a, like a disco or something or a nightclub or people going on a pub crawl I yeah. kind of did that with issue thirteen, didn't I? But there's yeah, there's sometimes where it, it is there's limitations because of their transformerness. Um, so I tried to have it both ways with that kind of um, Earth disco where they're playing all these eighties uh, indie yeah. pop hits and stuff. So I may have done that differently. <laughs> that leads very nicely into like the the soundtrack that you issued on oh, yeah. Twitter through um, like th- yeah through Twitter posts and so on. And I I had listened to some of those songs and like and did you. Is that was that your was that in any way influenced by Phonogram and Kira Gillen? Because um, he did a lot of that with things like Young Avengers and Wicked the Divine and so on. Yeah, um, it was not directly. I mean, I, I, I was a, a Phonogram. I am a, a fan of of him generally. I'm, I'm particularly a fan of the, the Phonogram stuff. And I know that he and I are probably exactly the same age, and we were both TFUK readers, and we we're both into oh, the same know. music. Oh. Yeah. Um, both into the same music and so i think just as i think our tastes overlap quite a lot yeah um but i didn't know that he i didn't uh, i read read young avengers in trade 
And um, I didn't know that he was in, in the habit of sort of saying these are, these are songs that. Uh, yeah, he did publish a few um, a few soundtracks, I think, in some of the, in the letters page or something at some point. Oh yeah, remember, yeah, but, yeah. But all right, well, no, so I just I just wondered if it was either you know complete complete accident that the two of you doing something similar, or I mean, with you being a fan as well, it's, it makes sense. Yeah, anyway. yeah, no, that's, that's a fair assumption to make. I think when, back when yeah. I was doing the fan fiction stuff, I, I tend to have certain songs that I'd associate with the it wouldn't necessarily be all oh, these are the songs I'm listening to as I write it but I would associate certain songs with certain stories and that just carried over into the into more than Missy and also it was a way of um yeah a bit of sort of audience engagement you know and it would um and a bit of pre, pre-release hype and it would put people in the right mood and it was an excuse to show off music I thought was good so, yeah. Um, you know. Well, it's a it's been a way of selling the comic to my other half because she's a massive oh, yeah. Britpop she's a massive Britpop <laughs> fan, and uh, so oh, I was yeah. like, oh well, there's Scott Walker, Pulp, Dexys, Kinicky, and she's like, oh okay, yeah, great. <laughs> oh. Someone did a very good, um, very exhaustive. Um, so the, the cat is testing his claws on my uh, very thin <laughs> t-shirt at the moment. Uh, he. Uh, yeah, some uh, a guy did a, a comprehensive Spotify playlist of more than meets the eye. Yeah, tracks. I found it. I found it. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, oh. uh, I was listening to a bit of it earlier, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. funnily enough, um, amazingly, at the end of of Lost Light, um, a collection of fans and a band, uh, well, a band wrote a song about Lost Light. Really? Which you can find, which you can find on Spotify. Actually, I'll send you a oh, link okay. after this. Oh, cool. Um, cool. And uh, it's got a massed choir of, of readers as well. They did like a, a global, um, you know, sing along, which um, and it's it's pretty it's pretty jangly. It's nicely jangly. It, it, it ticks my boxes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely it's definitely the era of music that I was most into growing up as well. So, like, Britpop was a big 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 part of me. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was good to sit to hear all that stuff and uh, see that you were into similar kind of music. Yeah, we dropped a few. We dropped a few names in the in the actual issues as well. But uh. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she, um, my other half, she's a massive fan of Divine Comedy, and when I showed her that like tonight we fly was on the oh yeah the, the uh, that that playlist, she was like, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> well, that's I nearly called the last issue of um, of Lost Light tonight we fly actually. Oh really? And in oh. fact, I I came close to commissioning. There was a fan that did really good. Um, obviously fan-made videos um, that she do occasionally in support of stories, storylines. And um, and I, I went as far as, I don't know how familiar you are with the song actually, but there's a, an extended sequence where, um, you know, Neil lists mm-hmm. all the different yes. occupations. Yes. I know I know the song very well. She's played it to oh, me great. a million okay, times. Yeah. 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 Oh. I'm a, I'm, and also, <laughs> I love it. It's a great song. It is a great song. <laughs> yeah. So that bit when he's going through all the different... Um, characters if you like and it was very nearly a a more than missing character that fitted each of those brilliant um and of course the, the sort of the cheat mm. would have been farmer for the farmer ph perfect but yes anyway it didn't happen in the end but um yeah that's oh, it's a yeah. shame i mean there's and talking of things that i love yes. i'm a massive fan of justice league international was, <laughs> right, yeah. Was that you, or was that more the the artists that chose to do the covers that way? No, that was that was me, hundred percent. I I um JLI is the is the is the the biggest influence on more than meets the eye, arguably. If I, I think it's probably I had a feeling. Yeah, 
the, so Justice League International and um, Early Red Dwarf and X Files to an extent in terms of the kind of the slow burning myth arc stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, those are probably the biggest sort of pop culture um, hallmarks, and and maybe 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 new new Who to an extent, RTDs Who. Yeah. Oh, Muffets actually to, to but that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, no, just the International. I, I said before we didn't have a comic shop over here, and we didn't. But um, there was a news agent opposite one of the schools that always had the DC imports in, and um, and I went in there and found Justice League Europe issue one, sort of in what 1989 ish, yeah. mm. maybe 1990 actually. Um, but the London Egmont is it Egmont uh, Fle- Fleetway subsidiary oh yeah would, yes, yeah, would, yes. would reprint the um the, they do a superman comic and a batman comic and and the well i think it was superman had the jli reprint in anyway that's how i came by them those stories and they i just i mean that that they they aren't underrated because everybody justifiably raves about them and, and um you know they are rightly recognized as a sort of as a pivotal and highly influential comic series because they to me as a as a as a as a relatively new comics fan two or three years into it i mean my comics were kind of simon Furman's wonderfully kind of space opera histrionic stuff um or the 2000 ad kind of irreverent sort of political cyberpunky stuff yeah and i all all, all the kind of like you know the uh you know, the the fantastic four spider-man and Justice League International, I'd never, I'd never seen superheroes acting like, or you know, acting so much like ordinary people. Yeah. But more to the point, mm. stories which foregrounded, you know, other things other than the fight. And I know there'll be people listening to this and saying, "Oh God, yeah, but Spider Man and the whole yeah, that, that's what set Marvel apart." And that, that's right. But I'd never yeah. seen, never seen an ensemble book that was so much about just the interdynamics, in, the interactions between the characters. You know. Oh, I, I I agree completely. Yeah. yeah, and that was funny. You know, that was that was funny, and that I mean, oh God, if you, you're probably better versed in this than I am, but I mean, there was was there not an issue? Mate, God, it might have been Peter David's X Factor, actually. Anyway, there was. Um, <laughs> I'm also a big fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, Love it. So one of those series, I'm sure there was like a subplot which was just the the inability to open a jar of mayonnaise, you know, mm. and and it's like yeah. That that's the type of thing which I which I want to read about. <laughs> Absolutely, no, no. I mean, I I came obviously. I kept, I I wasn't was way too young to read it when it came out. Really, well, I guess I wasn't, but I wasn't reading DC comics at all at the time. Yeah, like I came to it a lot later, and I thought it was fantastic. I mean, my my favorite character is now Booster Gold. Due oh to yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> when people ask me what my favorite superhero is, and I go uh, Booster Gold, and they're like, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've mentioned before that I was looking over some old notebooks, and there's multiple references to um, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold analogs mm-hmm. within you know, the fact they needed to be. And it was going to be Swerve and Tailgate, actually. We never really developed that too much in the end, but but I, I knew it sort of started that way, didn't it? It did, didn't it? There you go. So yeah. we're going to have they're going to get into various mini adventures or, or hijinks and things. But um, <laughs> but to go back to your question, so I, I, I mean, I. I'm quite proud of this, even though it's become so hackneyed. But the idea of, of 
homaging, homaging uh, JLA, JLA one mm-hmm. was a way uh, with more than meets the eye one was just to my mind a very simple way of of, of sending a signal to non Transformers fans. Yeah, this is this is the vibe, you know. This is not this mm-hmm. is not your normal Transformers book, and and we, we talked before about um, Lost Light being unusual in, in in having a a title which is not you know a you know a sort of genericized TF term or mm-hmm. or a character name, but um, there'd never been an ensemble book before, not an ongoing series, which was about a group of characters. Yeah, you know the the ongoings had always been. Okay, the mayor starts off small, but they were forever building outwards and focusing on new characters, often because of the toys coming out. Yeah. So I wanted to really lean into that. Um, you know, it's a, it was a found family story, bunch of losers on a ship. There's the Red Dwarf reference. Um, <laughs> and, and, and hopefully emulating the kind of JLI sensibilities. So, uh, yeah. So, but it's amazing how many people, again, the younger generation of fans that came onto it. You know, years later, they'll see Justice League International one and think, "Oh, right, <laughs> right, okay." That, 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 that wasn't that wasn't a fantastic original idea that that James and Nick had. That was a yeah, a tip of the hat. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I mean, I was very impressed with it when I first saw it. I was like, "Oh, well, there you go. This is the book for me." Then, like, <laughs> well, there you go. Like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I was very pleased to see that. <laughs> So, I mean, your comics, More Than Meets the Eye and Lost Eye, have had quite an impact on the fandom. So much as there's now like a, a wealth of expensive toys for me to buy. Have you, uh, have you, have you uh, seen many of those? Are you aware of all that? I am. Um, when we were map- mapping out Dark Cybertron, uh, John, Barbara and I got an invitation to, um, to go to Rhode Island and, and meet Hasbro and talk it through, you know. And when I was there... Um, I got to go and see the kind of the R&D, you know, design rooms and things and got to look in this massive A1 folders where they had the kind of the, the very beginnings of, of ideas for what characters they were going to do toys about. And I remember seeing mm. that they um, you know, they had Brainstorm planned. And that that is, people know this, but that, that is a 100% more than ECI, Alex Mill Brainstorm design. Yeah. And so in these massive folders, you know, there was like an overblown, panel from issue two of, you know, of, of when he's standing next to um or or shock or whoever um you know yeah melted into the engine room so you know they um then there was a tailgate there was a swerve and i've you know nothing but love for third-party companies but but i'm still old school enough that they're it's an extra special kind of frizzle when it's a an official figure based of on course. yeah of course and, and, and there's two levels. There's kind of the aforementioned sort of brainstorm. There's, there's the fact that Swerve was reissued. Oh, sorry. A new version of Swerve came out, new version of Tailgate, et cetera, et cetera. That's all fantastic. But the real humdinger is when it's a, an original character that gets turned into an official Hasbro release. So we've had Nautica, albeit she was a, a recolor, but nonetheless, we had, we had a, a named Nautica yeah. toy. We had Minimus Ambus. Um, yeah, as part of a um, Ultra Magnus toy, and then we. I did wonder what I wonder what came first with that one. So it was was you, was your you guys first that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, and um, and then Rung. In the end, we had a a, a tiny Rung yeah. official Rung figure. Yeah, um, was it was a headmaster or something? Or? It was a. Uh, it turned into. It looks like a battle a, master. Yeah, it turns into a gun, doesn't it? target master basically yeah yeah i mean i i i, yeah. I have to allow dave to tell me what this is because he buys modern toys more than <laughs> i do 
But so what was it? It was a battle master, was it? A battle master. Okay, yeah. that's that's the official battle master <laughs> TM. I mean, you can't you can't accuse me of trying of designing characters with, with a view to getting toys made because I would have I would have had rung turn into something that a kid wants to play with. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, and then Nickel actually Nickel came out um, as a non-transforming but official official toy um, mm. with um, Tarn. Oh, so Nickel and Tarn. Super Seven. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 That's com- mm. that's coming out soon. I think it's it's, yeah. it's uh... That's right. Oh, it's not out yet. Yeah, it's impressive that 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 they haven't done a Rodimus in the uh, in the style of IW as of yet. No, I think there's maybe Dave can tell. I think there's a um because Flame Toys is kind of a it's an officially oh, sanctioned. I've got it. Oh yeah, I have it. You've oh, got it. <laughs> of course, of course. I f- I forget that Flame Toys. Uh, I know it's a third party, but it's an official third party. Yes, that's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yes, they do. They do, and it's a beautiful figure. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? And um, I think they did a Megatron. Mm. Yep, I've got, that too. I've, yep. I've got a little cabinet just over here with all my more than what meets the eye people in. Some of them are third party, uh, but I'll send you a photo later. Yeah, please do. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I've got I've got Megatron in there. I've got um I've got Rodimus from Flame Toys, and then I've got a bunch of uh, uh third party stuff like Chrome Dome and Rewind and so on. Uh, the third party stuff is fantastic, and I've um I've got a um a rung third party rung. Yeah. Uh, I I got a third party swerve with my first blaster and uh, mm-hmm. um an iron fist going right back to wreckers um, God, oh, yeah. um but i i generally don't it's a bit like original artwork i mean i i if i started i wouldn't know when to finish you know in terms of collecting the oh, it's, um, not, it's a minefield absolute minefield, a minefield. <laughs> um but also tarn crossed over into cyberverse didn't he he was all the cyberverse adventures the uh yeah so yes that, actually yeah. A friend of mine, um, another friend that I go to the pub with, asked, asked me um, this question. So that that cu- cuts into this quite well. It's just how, how much ownership do you have on a character like Rung or Tarn? Yeah. And, and do you have much say on how they're represented in toys or cartoons like Cyberverse? So basically when you... Um, so all the um, IDW work is on a sort of work-for-hire basis. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say this crudely. It's not to be aggressive, but it's just... It, you, you sign everything away at, at, the, at that yeah. point. Everything. It's standard everything. comics procedure, it, really, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So, and this, yeah. so there's, no, there's no trace of um, rancor in that. It's just that's how, how, it, how it works. So ev- everything mm. that's created, actually, it's, it's obviously not, not owned by IDW. It's owned by Hasbro uh, to, do with this, to do with as they see fit. And, um, and actually, that's useful to me as a kind of TFUK historian or archivist or whatever, doing the, uh, doing the classics trades. Mm-hmm. being able to go to Hasbro or rather IDW being able to go to Hasbro and, and say, you know, basically any, any comic material produced under license, you know, it's, it's Hasbro's to do with as they want. So, so the new licensee, um, whoever that is, will, mm. if they choose, will, you know, would be able to do like an omnibus edition of Morning Meets the Eye or Robots in Disguise or whatever. They could repurpose any of the older material uh, for... Yeah for new audiences so we will like idw did with the marvel stuff yeah yeah definitely they reissued it and Mm. so on um yeah little plug actually so i've just finished the uh final uh contents of the best of the rarities special so it's a one-off it's not so idw it's august best of the rarities 100 pages of uh very rare hard to find transformers ephemera 
stories mm-hmm. and artwork and bits and bobs. So, oh, cool! Check it out. I will yeah. do. Yeah. So, so what you, you've been compiling the, you've been creating it, create, curating it, curating. Well, so. Yeah. So we, I don't know if so we did the um, TFUK classics. We did five volumes of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then there was a, we were going to do eight. There was a sixth volume was was underway, but it wasn't to be. And I tried to resurrect it. Uh, I spoke to IDW and said to see whether there was any appetite to sort of do six at least. And it kind of nearly happened that it didn't. But then um, David Marriott said, look, we are planning a special, um, which is just going to showcase harder to find stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, long story short, I ended up being being allowed to sort of decide um or at least recommend what went in there and so we have got some rare stories in there we've also got some um um like like original artwork and some kind of deleted scenes there's um artwork from a u.s comic that um, was never published oh and there is something which i can't talk about but there is there is a world exclusive in there there is there's all new all new comic strips um in continuity from a certain time like uh, you will fantastic. see but, uh, but yeah so it's um, oh, I'm looking forward to that now yeah great there you go. Hyped, I've hyped it up you have like a real, you have, like a yeah. real pro well there I've plugged my new album <laughs> you've also done a fantastic uh, job of preempting my next two questions so you know you see, that's, that's out yeah. of the way like I was going to ask about IDW losing the license and uh, oh yeah and then I was going to and then I was going to ask you what you were working on right now so yeah so so the IDW have got license till the end of the year. Um, I, I I I don't know. Uh, I honestly don't know for certain who 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 has got it next. There was rumours about Robert Kirkman Skybound, I think, but like that. Was, yes. Yeah. No, I've heard yeah. those. Heard those mm-hmm. two. Um, and um, and before the light, well, between now and the end of the year, you've got the rest of Nick Roach's Last Spot Standing, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the aforementioned uh, Rarities book. There's another special like that coming out uh, about something about focusing on another aspect um there's something in the rarities book <laughs> be careful here <laughs> which 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 speaks to a project that was going to happen wow. um, before the end of the year which which is no longer happening um so there was there was a plan so some plans work out others don't um i would have been involved in in those plans had they happened um which is a bridge to your next question um I have not written anything much exciting to say, to be honest. I, um, I've got, I've got an, 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 in a lovely situation with IDW where they're always open to to talk and they're, they're always open to pitches. Mm-hmm. The the much as I loved writing more than Mitzi and Lost Light, um, and there there would have been a longer season three. Um, I think I've already said in the past that we probably would have wound up. Lost Light probably would have would have wound up around issue fifty anyway. Naturally, you know, would have reached its end, and, and that would have been the right time it wouldn't have couldn't have gone on forever um but i so i took took, took a break from technically took a break, break from transformers after that i did i did a mini called star um starcadia quest mm-hmm. yeah which was a bit similar similar themes really uh, and there was a couple of other things which nearly happened didn't the short answer is i can't tell you anything exciting I, i've not retired completely um <laughs> and i would like to do something i mean yeah um, I've got the itch. This this project, which, which which nearly happened but didn't, made me kind of hungry to do to do comic stuff again. So uh, we will see. In the meantime, watch this uh, watch this space. I watch guess. this space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, have you ever thought of writing like outside of comic books, like uh, like TV or 
I mean, I, I think I saw an interview with you um, once on YouTube where they talked, they spoke about the possibility of like a more than meets the ITV show or cartoon. Or yeah, there was there was talk years ago of a um, Last Under the Wreckers uh, adaptation, possibly, mm-hmm. and then um, more recently, yeah, there was, um, yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's always there's always talk of this stuff, and uh, I, I really, I, I really. Um, I'm loath to kind of talk about stuff um, unless I'm certain it's going to happen, you know. So otherwise, I mentioned it. Yeah. Hence, or something which is. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and and you know, it's, it's potentially embarrassing as well because you kind of big it up and then it sort of fizzles out. But um, I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not hinting at anything here. Um, but I'm just observing that. Um, like all, all of pop culture these days, it, for better or worse, is about. Um, self-cannibalization isn't it it's about reboots it's about mining that ip to death it's about you know picking something and running with it you know picking a pre-existing concept or idea Mm -hmm. and turning it into something else so i wouldn't be surprised i'd be very happy if elements of more than meets the eye or lost light found their way into a different medium at some point but like i say i'm not that's not like a little wink there i um, (laughs) am who knows what's going on but um we, we yeah it was nice to see tarn crossover you know, in the in the, ab- in the absence of a full blown adaptation, it would be just nice to see the the more than meets the eye's legacy in the shape of some original characters carrying over into different media or existing characters um, that were kind of redefined uh, in the in my series appearing in that in that incarnation in other things. You know, so if we had mm-hmm. like a if we had like a fast talking. Um, piss-taking swerve somewhere else you know that'd be nice I, I, I'd, I'd take that i'll accept that <laughs> I, I i think that's entirely possible i mean some of the some of the characters that that were created in the in, the, in your books were uh, those character traits have stuck for a lot of people so i would i would have thought <laughs> well, that I, I can't see it not happening yeah. well we were in between takes we were talking weren't we about um the divine comedy and um mm. and neil hannon has um He's done the songs for the Wonka prequel, hasn't he? Which is um, directed by the Paddington director. Yes. Who yeah. oh. And um, and in, in various interviews, Hannon says, you know, this this director um, was a bit, you know, was and is a big Divine Comedy fan and grew up with Divine Comedy. And now he's in a position mm-hmm. of power and influence, you know, he can uh, act on it. So I'm just hoping that somebody... <laughs> That grew up with more than meets the eye will one day yeah. be in a position of power and influence and can, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's cyclical, isn't it? I mean, it's and it, you well, see it happen. You see it happening in Transformers. Um, like, well, that's exactly right. It's, it's very neatly mm. taking us back to the beginning of this conversation when, mm. um, you know, myself and Nick Roach and Jack Lawrence, um, and John and uh, John Paul Bove, you know, all grew up with with Transformers UK and all ended up you know working professionally with transformers and weirdly you know jack jack nick and myself were all in transmasters uk um that you know that that tiny little fan club <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> um so i don't know yeah but yes you say things are cyclical and 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 one of the best things about the not to get too com- complicated but the idw2 um so the latest continuity the rebooted stuff 2018 onwards yeah. Yeah. The best bit has been seeing fans that um, you know grew up with more than meets the eye and Robots in Disguise, you know, getting their big break 
it professionally. You know, the artists are getting to do covers and getting to do interiors. So it's all, it never ends, as Furman would say, you know, it's all, uh, it'll, the next generation is built on the platform. Well, I mean, he's the perfect example of someone who's kind of been round and round yeah. and round on the, uh, on the Transformers merry-go-round, as it were. Absolutely, yeah. 30 years in, yeah, 2025. Yeah, yeah. Much, uh, 40, yeah. 40 years, actually. 40 years, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, I think we've taken up a lot of your time. So, um, unless you've got, have you got any other questions, Dave, before we wrap up? Uh, I guess it's just the, the standard type of questions that I'm sure some people always want to know from the creator. It's like, do you have any characters that you favored more than others or? Mm-hmm. Any that you didn't like in the end or the change? Oh, wow. Well, you know what? Ones I didn't like in the end. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. That's an interesting one. <laughs> um, so I'm going to buy myself some time by answering the other question. I think um, <laughs> I, I liked writing Megatron a lot, even though when, when we first, back at that Rhode Island uh, brainstorming session, when it was first decided that Megatron you know, maybe could become an Autobot, that was terrifying conceptually. But because I just didn't know how that could be, how I could pull that off convincingly. And maybe I didn't, but, you know, gave it a good <laughs> shot. Um, so that he was always, you know, there, there's certain characters. And in fact, you're not to get too meta about it, but we, um, but I did, you know, I made it a plot point in the end. You know, Megatron and, and, and Rodimus are two characters that kind of, they're the center of gravity in a room, really. They're very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, they're very uh, enticing from a writer's perspective. You know, they're very fun to write. And so, yeah, we had that um, personality tick story where the sheer power of their charisma causes these uh, parasites <laughs> to overdose. So, um, yeah. yeah, so um, uh, Rodimus, Megatron, Magnus was always good to write. Um, Swerve was fun. Uh, Whirl, of course. Whirl was a big one. Whirl was really good. Um, Love Whirl. Love Whirl. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. And characters that I, I suppose in a way... If I, if I hadn't enjoyed writing them, unless they were pivotal, I probably would have just featured them less. So you can, I invite mm-hmm. listeners to go and do their research and see which ones sort of faded out a little bit mm-hmm. um, as the series went on. I think I did, I, the cast did become too big uh, it, to to give everybody the time they deserved. So mm-hmm. there was kind of some, some people did did recede a little bit into the background. And we did actually, we did, um, I don't know why I keep flitting between we and I when it comes to the writing. But, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I sort of removed some characters altogether for a bit and then brought them back to give others a chance to um, to, to shine. I didn't, because season three was curtailed, I don't think that Anode and Lug uh, got the attention that they, they should have had in the end. Mm. I always struggled mm. to give Velocity um, um, enough enough time. First Aid as well. Um, I would have liked to have done more with with him, um, and and there was always the plan was always to do another five part scavengers adventures, or to give them a real kind of mini series within the the ongoing series. You know? Yeah, I I always wanted to see more of the scavengers. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah it, but that that got that got compressed into a two parter in the end. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, when we, Dave's got Dave's got all this to look forward to. I don't think he's got as far as seeing the scavengers as yet. So yeah, well, when you get no, I haven't. When you, you get, get issue, yeah, yeah. Well, tell, tell me what you think of issue two when you get to... <laughs> 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 or, or page two. <laughs> um, right. Well, yeah. that it. We're we good. We're good, Dave. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, 
Uh, thanks, James, for your time. That's yeah, been not at all. fantastic. Really, and thanks for dealing with all the technical issues and uh, yes, uh, with no, <laughs> we got know, there. Not getting, not getting too upset. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, when I, we first started this podcast, Simon s- said to me, "Oh, I know someone who works on some Transformers comics or something." Yeah, and uh, mm. maybe I can get get them to come on your podcast. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, that sounds great." And then um, I went mm. to. I went to a music festival the other week, uh, Great Escape, uh, Brian oh, yeah. Escape, and and was like, he goes, oh, do you want me to get that guy to come on? I was like, oh yeah, yeah. What's his name? And he went, oh, it's uh, it's Jim, uh, Jim Roberts. I was like, what? So I was, <laughs> um, I, I was absolutely over the moon that um, I mean, not not that I would happily talk to anybody involved in Transformers, <laughs> but like as one of my favourite writers, it was it was fantastic to have. Oh, well, that's nice. That's nice to hear, and. Uh... I've um I've done right by my eldest son as well now, so you know not yeah, again not that I, I I didn't need my arm twisting, but um but he's uh he's been able to help facilitate this, so uh, <laughs> yeah, great stuff. So it's all good. All right, yeah, well, lovely to speak to you both. Yeah, it's, it's been um it's been real um a pleasure because you know like Orion said, is um I've been introduced to this comic book now in the world of these characters oh, well i hope you are doing this i hope you I, I hope you enjoy i'm slightly trepidatious now but i hope you do <laughs> um i don't think we've given too many spoilers away actually have we um well i oh, no, no, it's fine <laughs> i don't know i i, I sent I, I sent a youtube video to dave saying don't watch this video it will ruin it for you but it gives you the, an overview, and he watched it anyway so he, you know he spoiled himself I, oh anyway. i know i know what happens i know all the beats right but... I want to read it. Yeah, I'm seriously enjoy reading it. I've got a friend who um, hates watching films, but and and so just goes to the Wikipedia synopses, you know, to, <laughs> to, to be to, to be able to partake in the discourse, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much. It's been brilliant talking to you. Yes, yes, thank you. Been good fun. And, uh, thanks, guys. Excellent. Well, thanks, and uh, enjoy what's left of your evening. Thank you. <laughs> My Well, that was rather special, wasn't it? We need to thank James again for humouring us and giving us his time, and our mutual friend and anti-folk celebrity in his own right, Simon, aka Filthy Pedro. Check out his latest project, On Heat, at onheat.band. Really was very, very nice of him to uh, put us in contact with James. Uh, Did you enjoy the interview? I bloody well hope so, because it's been a lot of work on our... (laughs) We're doing a hell of a lot of research. Why not let us know how terrible we are as interviewers on social media. Search for us on all of them. You should be able to find us pretty easy. You can find me in particular on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Gear Orion and Orion underscore Gear respectively. And Dave, where can they find you? You can always find me on Instagram, virtualdave26. Excellent. In addition... If you'd like to put your hand in your pocket and chuck a few coins our way in support of the podcast, head over to www.patreon.com slash argmyoptics. Do not forget the double A, (laughs) where you can not only support the podcast, you get special bonus content, and maybe you'll get to ask questions to famous people like James Roberts. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that if you enjoy the podcast, you can let us know by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing, etc., etc. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Please join us next time on... Art My Optics! Optics!